Well, anybody who's ever been a student can relate to that familiar moment when the professor or teacher comes in the room and says, there's going to be a test next week. And as soon as those words are uttered, you know that the next question someone's going to ask is, uh, what will it cover? What's going to be on the test? And if you're fortunate, the professor will give you uh, maybe a list of things to study, uh, things that you need to know. If you're really fortunate, he may give you a review sheet that he's prepared, something you can take home and look over. But if you are unfortunate, and all of us have had this happen, uh, you will say, what's on the test? And the professor will say, everything. And uh, you go, that's kind of a, that's a big category there. Everything about this subject, everything about life, relationship. Like, what do you mean when you say everything? Just everything we've talked about. And you'll go home and you'll complain to your roommates and your friends. And you'll say that it's totally unfair. If I'd known that everything was important, I would have listened better in that class. And you feel overwhelmed and a bit inadequate for the task. Now, the reason I share that is because uh, coming to the topic of prayer, being given a prompt within 45 minutes or 40 minutes to preach about prayer feels kind of like that. It's a little overwhelming. It's a topic that I myself uh, can grow a lot in. And so I come before this topic and I go, man, this is just a huge, huge topic. Uh, If you were to open your Bible and do a word study on everything related to prayer, praying, prayers, pray, all of those related words, you'd come up with dozens, maybe hundreds of verses throughout the Bible on the topic of prayer. I went to Amazon and to Christian book distributors this week and I did a search for books about prayer and I came up with tens of thousands of results. Uh, Here's some of the titles of all the different books on prayer. There's a whole series uh, some of you are familiar with uh, called The Power of a Praying Wife. There's Power of a Praying Wife, Power of a Praying Husband, Power of a Praying Teen, etc., etc. Another book, How to Pray with Passion and Power. Prayer, Does It Make a Difference? The Power of Persistent Prayer. Praying God's Word. Amish Prayers. How to Pray with Power and Authority. Prayers that rout demons, prayers that bring healing, prayers that activate blessings, spiritual warfare prayers, the 21 most effective prayers of the Bible, prayers for people under pressure. I almost bought a copy of that one actually for this morning, (laughs) so I was thinking about my sermon. My prayer is tough. It's something we all know that we ought to be doing, but if we're honest, uh, many of us don't, or at least not nearly as often as we feel we should. Uh, In some ways, it's like flossing, right? Uh, Everybody knows that we should floss. Maybe you know somebody who does. Maybe you've heard stories about people who will floss, right? Uh, But you yourself don't necessarily do it. You go to the dentist and the dentist says, now you know that flossing is good for your teeth. You go, thumbs up. Absolutely. It's great for my teeth. I totally agree. He says, do you floss? You say, well, I flossed uh, this morning, right before I came to the dentist, right? Just... (laughs) trying to fool you a little bit, make you think I floss, right? The reality is that if we're honest, maybe 12% of us actually floss on a regular basis, even though we know it's important. And prayer is kind of like that. We read the Bible and we see that, man, prayer is a critical part of walking with God. It's a critical part of our spiritual life. And the Bible says that God listens to prayer and he responds to prayer. And yet we don't really do it. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Maybe we've tried praying in the past and our prayers weren't answered the way that we hoped they would be answered. Maybe it is that there's just, we're, we feel that we're too busy, we're too distracted, 
Maybe it is we feel sinful, guilty, far from God, and so we don't pray. There's all kinds of reasons that we don't pray. And as we look at the subject this morning, you know, I thought I could give us a lot of methodology about prayer. I could give you the 37 steps to praying like Jesus or whatever it is. But the reality is that most of us aren't in a place where uh, that's going to be the most valuable use of our time. Because most of us are in a place where we say, I just need to know how to start. And so what I thought we'd look at this morning is this. Uh, What are the obstacles to praying? What are the things that keep us from prayer? And a little bit about how to overcome those. Uh, And then secondly, why should we bother to do it? Okay, if it's so hard, uh, why pray in the first place? And then lastly, before we close, I'm going to give just a few practical suggestions for how to begin. And if you've already begun, uh, how to improve and move to the next step in your prayer life. I think that's where most of us are. All right, so as we begin, let's, let's just talk for a few minutes. Why is prayer so tough? All right, what are some of the reasons that it's difficult and what can we do about it? Now, the first reason I think it's tough is this. Uh, we don't really believe it matters. All right, I think if most of us are really honest, we'd say, you know, uh, sometimes it seems like God answers prayers, but a lot of times he doesn't. And I don't really know why. There seems to be a certain randomness about life. And when I pray, again, sometimes God answers, sometimes he doesn't. I don't know why. It doesn't seem to make a difference. And so uh, I get disillusioned and cynical and I stop. Maybe it is that you say, uh, it feels like I'm just talking to the wall. Uh, Pat mentioned uh, Nathan and Lori are here this morning. Nathan was actually my roommate in college. And one of the things I remember about rooming with Nathan was this. I've always, before I had kids, actually, I was always a person that had a hard time falling asleep at night. And so uh, I would lie down at night and I was ready to talk. I had things I wanted to say and I would share all of my uh, deepest feelings and emotions and the things that I desired and wanted from life. And Nathan's on the other side of the room and I'm talking about all these things. And then after about 20 minutes, I go, uh, how, do you, how does that make you feel? What do you think about that? And I realized he was asleep, right? <laughs> Hadn't heard what I was saying. Right? Uh, the first few years of my marriage, that happened to me with my wife as well. Uh, we would lie down in bed and I'd begin to talk and all of these things going on and I'm sharing it and then just silence. I've been talking to the ceiling. Maybe that's how it feels for you when you pray. Now, if that's the way you feel, you're in good company. Throughout history, men and women have wrestled with this question of, does God hear and answer? Even the apostle Paul struggled with it. When you see 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, you see Paul saying, I had a problem. I had a thorn in my flesh. I prayed three times, God, take it away. And God says, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Even Paul didn't get the answer that he wanted. That feeling of God not hearing, uh, that's very common. Throughout the Psalms, you see the psalmists talk about it all the time. Here's one example, Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. In the day when I call, answer me quickly. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. You have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow and I wither away like grass. I can't think of many more sad, pathetic images than a lonely bird on a housetop, right? There he is sitting there all alone. Tweet, 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 tweet. (laughs) Somebody hear me. Somebody listen. But no, he's alone sitting on the housetop. That's how the psalmist describes at this moment his experience of prayer, of trying to connect with God. 
If you have felt that, you're in good company. Everybody has. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about how the scripture answers that. Because the reality is God does hear and God does listen, even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But I think often we stop before we really get started because we don't really believe prayer matters. If we're really honest, we really don't think it makes a difference. Also, we don't pray because uh, we're distracted. We've got a lot going on, right? Maybe there's other things that we would rather do with our time. Maybe it is that our lives are full of activity and noise, right? And so you sit down to pray and immediately you think of a hundred other things that you have to do right now. So you sit down and you go, I need to see how many people liked my Facebook status from last night. I got to do it right now, right? I got to check my email. There's a light bulb in the bathroom that's burnt out. It's been burnt out for six months, but you just thought of it just now. There's a noise outside. There's cars driving by. My kids are asking me questions and I can't settle my brain to begin to pray. Some of you live in just a world of distraction, right? As soon as you wake up, your eyes open and you grab that iPhone and you begin looking to see if you missed anything overnight. And you go throughout the day like that. Or you go throughout the day like this with music in your ears or noise in your ears and images in front of your face. And you never have a moment for quiet reflection. You're just distracted. For some, it might be distractions outside of your control. Uh, I'm at a place in life where I've got Uh, Three small children at home. Uh, My wife keeps saying there are three of them. I suspect there are more because uh, I don't see how three people could make that much noise, right? And that much chaos. And there are times that uh, I try to get up early and they wake up before me still. Five o'clock, 5.30. And there goes quiet time. Maybe that you have crises in your life that prevent you from being able to focus. And so you've got all of these distractions. And again, if that is you, you're in good company. John Donne, writing in the 17th century, says this, I throw myself down in my chamber and I call in and invite God and his angels thither. And when they are there, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach, for the whining of a door. A memory of yesterday's pleasures, a fear of tomorrow's dangers, a straw under my knee, a noise in my ear, a light in my eye, an anything, a nothing, a fancy, a chimera in my brain troubles me in my prayer. You don't need an iPhone to feel distracted. And I think what happens is we sit down to pray. I think a couple of things happen. One, our minds, which have not had a moment really to think or process all day, suddenly begin to find all of these things we need to think about. I think also our enemy Satan tries to distract us and keep us from knowing God. And so it may be for you, one of the solutions as you begin to seek to pray is you need to remove some distractions from your life. Maybe you don't set the iPhone right next to your bed. Maybe you put it in the other room so when you wake up, you can focus and pray and read the scripture. Maybe with some of those distractions that are outside of your control, you need to find ways to work around them. Sometimes with my youngest son, he's two years old, he'll he'll wake up before me, he's in the room, he's talking to me. So I give him a stack of books and I say, you read this while I pray and read over here. That works for five or ten minutes, right? And then I find something else. But we're distracted. And before we can approach God, it may be we need to begin to find ways to remove, eliminate some of those distractions. The truth is that when we say we're too busy to pray, that's actually not 
the case, right? We're not really too busy. We're just too distracted because you can pray anytime. You can pray early in the morning. You can pray late at night. You can pray while you're washing the dishes, while you're in the shower, while you drive the car. But we're distracted. And so part of the challenge of prayer is learning to manage and eliminate some of those distractions. I think we also struggle with prayer uh, because we feel guilty or maybe we are guilty. We come before God and there are sins that keep us from approaching him like we should. And so we feel far away and distant. I have heard uh, secondhand, thirdhand, not saying this has ever happened in my house, but I've heard uh, second or third hand that Sunday morning can be kind of chaotic, right? Things can happen uh, that make it hard for you to focus in worship. So you're on your way to church and uh, maybe you, you can't find your shirt or it's not ironed and uh, maybe you can't find your car keys and you're going crazy and you're getting frustrated uh, with your spouse and your kids are going crazy. You're like, get in the car, be quiet, stop biting your sister, you know, all of these things. And you're stressed out and you've been unconscious and angry all morning long and then you walk in and it's sweet hour of prayer right and you're trying to focus <laughs> but there's anger in your heart and so you've got this sin that keeps you from really connecting with God the same thing happens when we pray Isaiah chapter 1 God says to his people this when you spread out your hands in prayer I will hide my eyes from you Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's interesting. That's convicting. The way that I treat my spouse, the way that I treat other people affects my relationship with God. So it may be that before coming before God in prayer, you have to deal with this sin or as you come, you confess, you ask forgiveness, you restore that relationship. It may be that you're feeling false guilt. It may be something that you've already confessed, you've already repented of, and you're moving forward and yet the enemy keeps bringing to mind these past transgressions and you need to ask God, help me to accept your grace. It may be that you come before God and uh, you don't really yet know him. You don't know Jesus as your savior. And so your guilt and your sin are still on you. And you can't fix that apart from trusting in Jesus Christ and what he did to receive forgiveness of your sins. Believe that he died for your sins. He rose again so you can have not only eternal life, but a relationship with God where you can approach his throne. And for those that know him, It is an ongoing daily process of confessing sin and restoring that relationship. But often we feel far from him because we're holding on to sin. Because we won't let go of it. And so we struggle because we are guilty. And we need repentance. Prayer can also be difficult finally because we're prideful. We're prideful. We want to do things our own way. And yet, as you look at the scripture, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now notice that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to have any impact in the spiritual realm, if you want to see anything happen, you have to abide in Jesus Christ. And that requires prayer. 
And the truth is so often we come and we think, you know what, I can do this. If I am just smart enough, if I am eloquent enough, if I am gifted, talented enough, good looking enough, whatever it is, I can make people trust in Jesus. I can convince them. If I lecture my kids just enough, they'll stop sinning. (laughs) Ever tried that? If I summon my willpower just enough, I can overcome this addiction or this sin. And yet Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It is the human condition. It is our flesh to want to do it ourselves. Told you I have a two-year-old son. That is his motto right now. I do it myself, right? Even if it's something he clearly cannot do himself. Even if it involves things that are six feet high in a cabinet. He'll try to find a way, right? We want to get him a shirt that says, doing it myself since 2012, right? (laughs) And yet as an adult, I struggle with that too. I don't like asking for help. I want to believe that I can handle everything myself, and that's pride. Um, I have been effectively banned from plumbing projects at my house. Uh, I like to think of myself as a relatively handy person. I can fix most things, but uh, I just had one too many plumbing mishaps where rivers of water were flowing uh, through our life. And uh, turns out that now what I have to do is uh, I've got to call someone else to come to my house and to fix something that I know deep in my heart I can do, right? That I'm capable of. And so I stand there and I watch him do it. That's hard because I like to think I can handle it. I can do it. But the reality is when it comes to the spiritual life, you and I cannot. We come before God offering nothing. And apart from him, we can do nothing. And prayer allows us to connect with the God of the universe and see him work where we cannot work. Great passage from Psalm 138 that comes back again in the New Testament. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. In other words, if you're proud, God knows you from a distance. But if you're humble, he draws close. You hear that repeated in the book of James, the book of 1 Peter, this way. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Because as we humble ourselves and we come before him in dependence, recognizing that we need him, He provides grace to do his will. He provides the power we need to have an impact for his kingdom. And so we say, I need you. I need you every hour, every hour. I need you. Not just sometimes, not just when I think I do, not when my own strength is run out. I always, every day, every moment, I need you. But often we're prideful. So prayer is tough because it rubs up against our sinful flesh. So the question then is, why bother? Right? If it's so tough, why bother? There's several reasons biblically. I'm going to begin with what I think is probably the most persuasive. The reason that I go, if this is the case, then it's a no-brainer that we ought to invest the effort in prayer. Why is prayer worth the effort? First of all, because Jesus believed in prayer. Think about that for a second. Jesus is the son of God. He's absolutely perfect. He didn't sin. He has the ability, if he wanted to call legions of angels to do his bidding, he has all power at his disposal in the universe. And yet you see Jesus day after day coming before God in prayer and submitting himself to the father in order to do the work that he was called to do. And I think Jesus does that as an example to you and me to say, this is how you depend upon God. And if the son of God needs prayer, 
You certainly do. I certainly do. Got a couple of these passages, Luke 6, 12. It was at this time, meaning right before he selected his 12 apostles, it was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Mark 1, 35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Now I'm tempted to go, yeah, but Jesus wasn't as busy as I was. Right. Day after day, Jesus had throngs of people waiting for healing, for teaching, just for a word from him. He had 12 disciples to train and to lead. He had more on his plate than any of us. And yet he said, it's critical that I pull away and pray. I need to connect with my father. Philip Yancey says this, skeptics raise questions about prayer's usefulness. If God knows best, what's the point? To such questions... I have no better answer than the example of Jesus who knew above any of us the wisdom of the Father and yet who felt a strong need to flood the heavens with requests. And so in imitation of our Savior, we pray. Jesus prioritizes it. Prayer is also important, significant, worth the effort because our battle is spiritual talked about this a little bit a moment ago, but we're fighting a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 12, a passage most of you are familiar with. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, uh, we are not fighting against flesh and blood, and yet we tend to think we are, and so we bring the wrong weapons to the battle. We bring our talent, our personality, our charm, our words, all of these things. We bring them to the battle, and we say, I'm to give these things and God will use this in order to produce for his kingdom because I'm good enough and it goes back to that pride and yet the scripture says no our struggle is not against flesh and blood it is a spiritual battle that requires spiritual weapons and the only way to access them is by connecting with the God of the universe through prayer recently watched an episode of uh, this tv show Mythbusters And they were testing out scientifically an Old West saying, which is never bring a knife to a gunfight, right? And you've all heard that expression used metaphorically as well as literally. And uh, what they were saying is uh, if you're in a fight and you've got a knife, the other guy has a gun, is is that true? Can you win? And it turns out that pretty much the guy with the gun will win uh, unless you're really close with that knife. Some of you have seen the old movie Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark and you'll remember that scene where he's standing face to face with a samurai swordsman who is twirling the sword and doing all of these intimidating things and we know Indiana Jones wins. Why? Because he had a gun. And you'll pardon the violent imagery, but the reason I use it is because the scripture says this is a battle. We are in a spiritual battle for the hearts and the lives of men and women who need to know Jesus, who need to overcome sin, who need to walk with him. And yet often we bring our own tools. We go, I can fix this, right? But our battle's not against flesh and blood. And so if we want to have an impact for the spiritual kingdom, prayer is where we begin, right? Prayer is not a prelude to the work that God wants us to do. It's not something we do just so God will bless us as we go out and do our own thing. It is a critical part of the work God has called us to do because it's where strength and power come from. 
One of my favorite uh, stories from the Gospels happens in Mark chapter 9. Jesus had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples. He comes back down the mountain and he sees the rest of his disciples engaged in some sort of chaotic scene where there's a boy who's uh, having a seizure and, and the boy's father comes up to Jesus and he says, my son has a demon and I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. And what does Jesus say? Uh, they just, they didn't move their hands right. Right. They didn't say the right words. They're not smart enough. No, he doesn't say any of that. What does he say? Oh, unbelieving and wicked generation. How long shall I put up with you? He goes over to the boy. He heals the boy. And then the disciples come back and they say, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And he says, this kind can only come out through prayer. Right? And the message is, guys, it's not that you weren't smart enough. It's not your methodology that's the problem. It's that you thought you could do it apart from the power of God. So a spiritual battle requires spiritual strength. Thirdly, prayer is necessary uh, because God really listens. It's worth the effort because God really listens. We talked about our tendency to believe, you know, it doesn't really matter. God doesn't really hear me. And the truth is, he doesn't always answer affirmatively, does he? Sometimes we don't know why he doesn't answer. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. It may be sometimes that there's sin in our lives. It may be sometimes that we lack faith. It may be sometimes that we're praying for the wrong things. But then there are some times that we pray and he doesn't seem to answer. And we go, you know, it seems like I'm doing everything right. And yet he's not answering me. And some of you, I know you've prayed for friends or family members to know Jesus and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed for 10, 15, 20 years and you've seen nothing happen and you go, why am I still doing this? And sometimes we don't understand why. And yet, and yet, as we look at the scripture, we see these assurances and this evidence that God listens and answers prayer. The passage Johnny read a while ago, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit, right? And we read passages like that and we go, way to go, Elijah, but uh, that doesn't happen for me that way. And yet, and yet you look through history and you see these assurances that God listens and not only that, but evidence that God works. And there are times even in my life that I've prayed for things and God's answered in a way that I go, that could only have been the hand of God because it was such a specific answer to a specific prayer. Historically, one of the greatest examples of answered prayer in the spiritual realm goes back to the year 1806, something called the Haystack Prayer Meeting. Five college students, five college students caught in a thunderstorm decide they were going to go pray for the work of God around the world. In missions. And so these five students pray and they pray that God will raise up laborers for the harvest. And out of that group, they founded an organization that over the next 150 years sent more than 5,000 missionaries around the world. And God raised up laborers through those men and women. They inspired another group that sent tens of thousands around the world. Because of five students who said, we're going to pray for God's work. And God answered. Uh, More recently, I can think of a story uh, relating to my own dad. When my dad was in uh, college, he was at a conference with some friends. And uh, there was a man who walked in to this conference who 
uh, only spoke Turkish. And so they were unable to communicate with him, but they knew that he needed to hear the gospel. And somebody came up to my dad and a friend and they said, do you know if there's a Turkish translator around here that could help us communicate the gospel to this guy? And they're like, well, no, uh, we don't know any. It was late at night, actually. It was about two or three in the morning in New York and they're standing in a hotel lobby. We don't know anybody, right? If I were to ask this morning, any of you speak Turkish? Maybe, maybe one, maybe two, right? Three in the morning, New York City, probably nobody's around. My dad said, I don't know why I did this, but at that moment I thought, I'm just gonna pray that in 10 minutes, a Turkish translator will come to that desk over there. And he still says, I don't know why I did that, but I, we prayed for it and then looked up and he said, I just kind of went on. He said, my friend was the one who decided I'm going to go over and wait by the desk in 10 minutes. 10 minutes later, guy walks into the hotel to ask directions. My dad's friend goes, uh, strange question for you. Do you speak Turkish? He goes, yeah, actually I do. I was at another conference. I happened to get lost here in the middle of the night, came into this hotel, first place I could find to ask directions to where I'm going. Uh, but yeah, I'm a Turkish translator. Went over and shared the gospel with their friend. Now I hear that and I go, okay, why did that happen that day, that way? In such direct response to their prayer. I don't know. And why is it sometimes I pray for things and God doesn't answer? I don't know. Okay, but the reality is that he does listen. And he responds to the prayers of his people at different times in different ways. But the truth is we don't control God. We submit to him. We submit our requests to him. And he moves at times in response. But he's not under our control. And yet he does listen. And he does hear. And I wonder sometimes, do do I really believe that? Maybe I don't pray because I don't believe it. One of the greatest uh, scenes in the book of Acts happens uh, when Peter is imprisoned. He's imprisoned and he's in jail and there's a group of people meeting to pray for him in a house and they're praying for him. And while they're praying, there's a knock at the door and the servant girl goes to the door. This is Acts 12. Servant girl goes to the door and she opens it up and there's Peter. He's standing at the door. So she goes back to the people to tell them and they go, shh, we're praying for Peter, right? She's like, no, 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 you don't get it. He's, he's at the, we're praying. Just wait, right? Finally, she gets them to get up and go to the door. And there he is. While they're praying, God moves. He opens the doors of the prison. He magically, uh, supernaturally transports Peter to this house. And there he is, standing there. And that they didn't really believe it when their prayer was answered. Right? And I'm like that. Maybe you're like that too. And the scripture says, God hears, he listens. Spiritual forces move when we pray. And fourthly, prayer is worth the effort because it draws us closer to God. Draws us closer to God. Over time, as we pray, we learn to pray in keeping with God's will. As we practice prayer, we learn to submit things to him that otherwise we'd try to deal with ourselves. I love Philippians 4, 6 that says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. And over time, what we do is we begin to submit these anxieties and fears about our lives, about our job, our grades, our kids, our spouse, to God. And I respond to anxiety and fear and worry through prayer. Over time, as I pray, I begin to pray for those things that matter to God rather than those things that just matter to me. Uh, Several months ago, I had a college student ask me, and he was very honest. He wasn't tongue in cheek. He said, is it okay if I pray that God would give me a pretty wife? 
And uh, here's how I answered. I said, well, I, I don't see a scriptural prohibition against it, right? Uh, I don't see anywhere that says don't pray for that. And man, if you're praying, it's better than not praying. But I said, I think what you'll find is that the more you connect with God through prayer, you'll find that you may want to pray for some other things. I don't doubt that you're going to probably look for a pretty wife anyway, right? But there may be other things about her that are less obvious, that are out of your control, that are harder to see, that are more important to the Lord. So you may find yourself beginning to pray that God will provide you with a wife who knows him, who will persevere in walking with him for a lifetime, someone who's courageous and kind and joyful, someone who reads the word and prays. Because the truth is that beauty is fleeting, right? None of us at 70 look the way we did when we're 25. If you do, something's probably wrong. And the reality is that the more that we pray, the more we begin to have a heart that beats in keeping with God's priorities. So instead of praying for more money, we begin to pray that we'll have enough and that we'll have what we need to give to the work of God around the world. Instead, maybe of praying that my kids will be happy and successful, I pray that they'll know God even when it's hard, that they'll trust him even when they suffer. Instead of just praying for good grades, I pray that God will open doors in my life that I can have a job or a career or a place of service where I can honor him and spread the gospel. Prayer draws us closer to God. Not only does God respond, but it changes you and me to make us more like Jesus Christ. Okay, so we look at this and we say, all right, I know why prayer is tough. I know why I should do it. But again, it's like flossing. I find that I don't do it. Where do I start? Where, where do I begin? Well, let me just give you a few practical applications uh, before we close. All right, how can we grow? Wherever you are, uh, whether you're a person who prays a lot, whether you're a person who's just beginning to pray, how can you grow in prayer? All right, here's what I would say. First of all, just show up. Just show up. The title of this series is Spiritual Disciplines. Uh, Prayer is a discipline. And it may be you say, you know, I'm distracted, I'm stressed, I I don't get it, I don't know what to say. And what I would say to you is just begin. Look, some of you in here, you maybe you work out on a regular basis or you run on a regular basis. And if I came to you and I said, look, I want to learn how to be a runner, but every time I try to run, my arms and my legs, they say, stop that, stop, stop that, don't do that anymore, right? (laughs) What are you going to say to me? You're going to say, just keep running. You got to get up. And at first you start and you'll last about 14 seconds and then you're, "Ah, I need a break, right? You get up the next day. Maybe you go 18 seconds. You work up. You run for five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes until you develop endurance, right? Prayer's the same way. There's really not a mystical secret to it. It's simply doing it. And so maybe you you say, I've got to be creative with my time. I've got to be creative with the way I pray for me uh, because sometimes uh, it can be noisy at our house. Some of my best prayer time happens in the car. I leave the radio off as I'm driving to and from work. I try to get up early in the morning and spend those first few quiet moments in prayer. What I would challenge you to do is just show up. You say, you know what, I, I, I need to know where to begin. I'd say this, just begin. Make it two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes of your day that you can say, I'm just going to try to pray. Maybe it won't go well, but I'll get up again the next day and try again. 
And over time, I'll get to know God better. I'll learn what to say, right? Don't stress as much about the particulars. Just show up and make it a habit in your life. Wherever you can find the time, make it a discipline, right? Secondly, follow some kind of a pattern. That helps a lot. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer is certainly an excellent one. And it may be you literally begin and you say, I'm just going to read some scripture and pray them back to God because I don't have my own words yet. And so I'll read some of the Psalms. I will read the Lord's Prayer and I will think about what they're saying and I will pray them back to the Lord. And over time, you begin to get a sense of the kinds of things you should pray for. There's another great pattern uh, that many of you are familiar with called ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration. You start, you praise God for who he is and what he's done. Confession, you confess your sin to him so you can begin the rest of your prayer time with a clean conscience before him. Thanksgiving, you thank God for all he's given and then supplication, you bring your requests and petitions to him. But you begin with some kind of a pattern just so you can get started and it helps a lot. And then thirdly, begin to pray for the priorities of God rather than your own priorities. Maybe there are times that you're so distracted, you need to bring those distractions to him first. So it may be that you know you ought to pray for the missionaries in the Congo or whatever, but you're like, I don't really care about that today because I'm so distracted by something going on in my life, in my family's life, at school, whatever it is. And so you bring those things and you lay them before God. But over time, the goal is you begin to grow in praying for God's priorities, for the things of his kingdom, the people we know he wants us to pray, that people will know him. We know he wants us to pray that there will be laborers for the harvest to go all around the world. Maybe you are the answer to that prayer. We know he wants us to pray that we'll walk with him and overcome sin and that those around us will as well. And so we begin to say, I'm going to pray for those things that matter to God. And as I read the word of God, and as I spend time with him, again, I begin to care about God's priorities. But the main thing is this, just pray, just show up and do it. I listed out at the beginning probably 20 different books about prayer. And they're all great. They all have great content. But the bottom line is that it's not as mystical as we sometimes make it out to be. It is a discipline. And so we start somewhere. Trusting that by doing so, we'll be able to connect with God that he will listen and respond and that we'll know him better. Trusting that prayer is one of the primary means by which we participate in the work of God in this world. We say, I want to be a part of it, even though I don't do it perfectly. I want to start trusting that God will bless the efforts. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for what your word has to say on such a critical topic. But again, one that all of us would confess, I think that We don't do as well as we would like. A few are excellent prayer warriors, but the majority of us need to work on it. And so I pray you would help us, give us grace through the power of your spirit to grow in prayer, to be people who are not prideful but humble, to be people who trust that you will answer, to be people who imitate Jesus Christ, and become more like him as we pray. Thank you for this time. And we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week.